Welcome to episode 12 of the Chamber Podcast. In this episode, we're examining the different aspects of unlocking potential in business and how approaches to unlocking potential will develop in the future. I'm Dan Harrison, Press and PR Executive. I'm Henrietta Burley, Director of Policy. Uh, Anita Ball, I'm chairing the Mayor's um, Leadership Commission. And uh, Andrew Marcinko, PhD candidate at Aston Business School. So the Chamber's Growth Through People campaign reaches its climax this week with a focus on unlocking potential in business, which in turn can help boost productivity. So, Henrietta, tell us about what this week's activities have centred around and what it's all about. Yeah, so as you say, Dan, the Chamber's Growth Through People campaign is all about helping it businesses boost productivity by investing in leadership and people management skills. This week, we've been focusing on unlocking potential. So that's all about diversity, inclusion, empowerment and development of staff as well. So some really key topics for businesses when it comes to being able to access, engage and develop the best and brightest talent for their business. So, so far this week, we've done a variety of things. We've done some speed mentoring with uh, students from Birmingham Metropolitan College and Mayor's Mentors and One Million Mentors. Uh, we've done a session on how business, uh, how individuals can build up the skills and knowledge they need to get on boards and the importance of diversity on boards. And uh, we're going to talk now about the sort of broader aspects around unlocking potential and why they're important for businesses. So, Anita, we'll start with you because Henrietta's just outlined unlocking potential it's a very broad subject what does it mean to you um i'm i'm going to this evening think and talk about um some of the hidden potential that's in our communities i mean henry has just mentioned that we're a really diverse city and region but i'm going to challenge the audience to see whether we really recognize that diversity and challenge and and how do we take on board some of the, the, the hidden talent in our communities. You, you know, just two miles away, four miles away from where we're sitting, we've got a whole lot of communities that don't engage with what's going on in the city centre. We've got 15% of our population that are um, in, in the sort of unemployed category. So what are we doing to tap into some of that uh, uh, untapped potential that's out there? And, and I think that will be my challenge to the group this evening. Yeah, and diversity is so, so topical. We hear that we're one of the most diverse cities in Europe, but it's perhaps not reflected across boardrooms and major companies. Absolutely. I mean, we're seen as a super diverse city, but when you look at um, our boardrooms, our, our professional services, um, health boards, you name it, in the public and private sector, we're just not represented. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the combined authority and the mayor in particular set up the leadership commission, because his challenge to me was, hey, we're a really, really diverse city and region, but where are the people? Where are they on the boards? Where are they in big companies? Um, and, and so we've been listening as a commission. We've been out and about listening. We've been collecting evidence. And when we present our report to the mayor and the combined authority, it will be a challenge to the private and public sector to say, here are our findings. Here, this is what local people and communities feel about uh, being underrepresented. What are we going to do as professional services in the private and public sectors? It's a theme that's come up at a few uh, mm-hmm. roundtable events with the chamber, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And even things like women in business, which, you know, you'd think 50% of the population, that's a pretty easy one there to uh, yeah. to manage. It still comes up as an issue of why aren't our leaders more diverse? And, you know, you look around the room at sort of senior networking events, where you look at the senior leadership of public and private sector organisations in the city region, and you see a lot of really great individuals, and actually a lot of individuals who are probably very passionate about diversity, but there's no denying that they're not particularly diverse themselves. There's still that issue with representation. 
And we want to look at diversity in, in not just the sort of the defined characteristics. It's not just, uh, gender is very important, mm -hmm. but it's not just about gender um, and, and, and uh, color. We've looked at LGBT communities. We've looked at where are the white working class boys. Uh, so the socioeconomic factors come into this, into this as well. So um, we hope we're going into looking at all communities that aren't represented. Um, and it's not just a color issue. And put you on the spot a little bit. You had a great career with the BBC for over two decades, I believe. So almost three. They, for, well, they, <laughs> but they they've had their share of bad publicity uh, over diversity, perhaps, and gender pay. Do you think there's a, a lot of lessons that people can learn from organisations like the BBC? Absolutely. I mean, over, over the, the, the decades that I worked at the BBC, we kept on being told it was being sorted, you know, particularly the gender issue. Um, and our, our, in the early 80s, the BBC put in a lot of initiatives, again, around gender. They hadn't thought about ethnicity at that time. And it was about taking people like Anna Ford and others through training and progression, and it included things like mentoring, but putting them on programmes that were... Um, in those days, people were saying, you know, um, they're well, nowadays they would have said politically correct, but in those days, they were saying it's it's um, uh, discrimination in reverse when people were, were scathing about those projects. But what those programs did was actually put women uh, in a position where they were empowered by getting the skills, um, they were empowered by mentoring, etc. But, but but what didn't quite land was, while we were empowering the women, we were not actually creating the environment for the rest of the organization, which was predominantly men, to say, well, actually, you had to take those skills that we were developing and those individuals we were developing um, in, into the food chain, if you like, mm. of the BBC. And I think the BBC failed in doing that. So it was very easy for people to go and close a door and negotiate with their managers, who happened to be male most of the time, uh, to do a deal. So if you're a big male presenter, and I saw it happening in Birmingham as well as uh, elsewhere, you could go and negotiate your price. Well, women just didn't have the tools to do that. And, and so it was a very uneven, uneven um, playing field even at that time. But today we're here, you know, some of the, the initiatives that have been put in place. But I, I would say to the BBC and my colleagues in the BBC who are still there, don't take your foot off the accelerator. Make sure this is delivered, and not just for gender. Ethnicity is another issue there. Andrew, let's bring you in. Um, sure. It's often said that perhaps there's, a, there's an unconscious bias in companies when it comes to... Right. Uh, recruiting staff, they'll perhaps recruit people that, that mirror themselves. What are your thoughts on that? Right, well, that, the, the BBC situation leads into that perfectly because what you probably see there, there may be some element of explicit discrimination in that pay gap and you would have a better sense than me, but there's probably a good chance a lot of that is unconscious bias. No one set out to make sure all the women at the BBC were paid less because they hate women. There's probably more of an unconscious, implicit bias happening there, which I think really highlights the importance of transparency with diversity data and these, this sort of information in companies. Uh, I, I'm not that familiar with the BBC issue, but my understanding is it sort of became public some of these pay gaps and pay differences between key female presenters and their male counterparts. And all of a sudden, that was a massive scandal. And it just seems like no one was on top of that. That data was all hidden for decades, it seems like, and that sort of became a major issue in the end. So for all companies, I highly recommend transparency and keep track of all that sort of data, make it as transparent as possible, and check in on it often to keep track of your biases. 
kind of leads into the next question I was going to ask about. How do the people kind of recognise that unconscious bias in themselves and overcome it? Well, that's a tricky question because inherently what makes an unconscious bias is it's unconscious. So it, it, there's no trick where I can teach everyone or we can teach, every, teach everyone to recognize their unconscious biases, but we should all accept that we all are biased constantly, myself included. You can have a PhD in diversity. You can be a senior diverse leader. We all have these biases that are constantly impacting our lives in various ways, and we're never going to be able to overcome all of them. So you start to think about other ways we can defeat that or beat that in organizations control. And I mentioned transparency. I mentioned data recording, uh, monitoring all the diversity data, whether it's uh, salaries, uh, assignments. There was a great study at MIT uh, where some researchers looked at office space uh, in a few companies. And they found that ethnic minorities, on average, had slightly smaller offices than their white counterparts. Again, their bosses probably didn't set out to say, ha let's give them two square foot less space in their office because we're racist. No, it's unconscious bias there. So you need to be aware of those little things and monitor assignments, travel bursaries, fundings. The little things like that are where unconscious bias can really sneak in. So keeping track of that data is a great way to avoid those issues. That's quite an extraordinary uh, piece of information, is that? Well, what do you make of that? I, I, I think it's spot on because, uh, you know, we all have a baggage we carry wherever we are. And, and we're, we're not conscious of that baggage. We, we walk into a room and, and we've got our, our, our baggage that's going on in, in our head. And I think it's really important to be aware that that, that exists. Okay. Um, Diversity is one subject we, we've touched on. Um, I understand you've done a bit of research on, on NASA and health of astronaut health and, and teamwork. Tell us a little bit about, about that and what organisations can, can learn from from that case, particular case study. Sure, yeah. Um, so I, back in uh, previous research, I've done some high-performance team stuff with uh, submarine crews and NASA astronauts for the Mars missions and that sort of thing, uh, which ties in well for diversity. I always ask my uh, undergraduate students, uh, if you were uh, designing a, a space trip to Mars, who would be on the crew? Would it be all men? Should it be all women? Should it be half and half? And it's a trickier question when you start to actually think about the ramifications of that. Not necessarily a right answer either, unfortunately. There, there's obviously risks and rewards to having diversity within your high-performing teams. Uh, one trick that really came out of that, though, one thing that was the clear focus of that research uh, came up was communication. And, and specifically, sort of designing the communication in a way that it works more efficiently. So in these high performance teams, one thing that keep coming up, coming up over and over again was sort of this constant buzz of communication. So it, it should never stop. There should be feedback from the person receiving the communication to the communicator, and then feedback from the communicator back to the receiver. That constant din of, I don't want to call it noise, but constant din of communication helped overcome a lot of the issues that hold back diverse and different teams. Did, didn't they just say we want the people with the best skills? Right, but that's risky. Would you want 15 fighter pilot 
super type A extrovert leaders on that crew? On that crew? No, but you might want one or two of them, and then you want you want a communications expert. You might want a good cook or somebody who understands vegetation. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, the the best people from a whole range of skills. Certainly, those skills are equally important as well. But getting into the personalities more and that's what they found a lot of times when they're looking for those top tier people whether it's engineers scientists doctors pilots a lot of them to be qualified for that level of uh, whether it was the submarine crews or the space troops or military backgrounds the fighter pilot types really high intensity type a personalities we would call them and the idea being there's a big risk of plopping 15 type A people together on a multiple year space trip. Mm -hmm. So they started to consider how do we mix up our personalities, our different ages, our different types of people together as well. Yeah. And diversity yeah. of types of thinking and style is very important as well, mm -hmm. isn't it? I know um, mm -hmm. Curium Solutions, who are the sponsor for this week, Growth Through Unlocking Potential, are particularly passionate about the need of understanding different people's styles mm -hmm. and then how that impacts on a team environment because we've all got different approaches and different ways of thinking. And when you don't consider it, that can lead to conflict, but used in the right way, actually it can be hugely beneficial, particularly on boards if you're looking to avoid groupthink and yeah. that sort of activity. So diversity as well as characteristics diversity of thinking is hugely important as well yeah, absolutely so quick to, to wrap up really from, from Anita and Andrew uh, you've kind of answered this already with communication transparency etc if you could leave us with one message about unlocking potential and where we take things in the future what would that be I think right now in the business world it really comes down to inclusivity Heard a lot of talk about diversity over the last few years and, and companies are doing better at that now if it's clearly not all that well still but there's improvement but the next step is not just getting the numbers there in place it's becoming developing that inclusive climate developing inclusive leaders who help to actually get the the business benefits those positives from the diversity that's starting to slowly increase within our organizations and, and I'd build on that to say that then we need action that is about taking some of that talent and taking it to the next stage and nurturing, mentoring it. And, 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 and it, it's not about hand-holding, but it's actually putting steps in place so that the talent really, really grows and flourishes. For more information on Growth Through Unlocking Potential Week and the Growth Through People campaign in general, make sure you check out the Greater Birmingham Chambers of Commerce website. Thanks to Anita, Andrew and Henrietta for joining us on the latest episode of the Chamber Podcast. Yeah.